This is the Flabbergasted Podcast, where we just can't believe you haven't seen it. Every episode, we discuss a movie that one of us has seen and the other hasn't. Follow us on Instagram at FlabberPod and subscribe in your podcast app of choice. I'm your host, Rogie. Let's get to it. Uh, we're going to be discussing the 2014 Wes Anderson adventure comedy crime film, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel um, is about a writer who encounters the owner of an aging high-class hotel who tells him of his early years serving as a lobby boy in the hotel's glory years under an exceptional concierge. Isn't it the story about a kid reading a book that the writer wrote who encountered mm-hmm. a da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a very Russian nesting dolls yes. plot with like a bunch of arbitrary beginnings and endings that are really not. They're just tacked on. You know? Which was something I did find slightly <laughs> enjoyable. We oh, need to like count that. those because there's okay. not a lot of them. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel stars uh, Ray Fiennes, who you'll know from playing Voldemort in um, the Harry Potter movies and uh, from other films. F. Murray Abraham. F. Murray, okay. F. Murray Abraham is barely in this. Um, Matthew Amalric. I don't agree with the order that they're listing these stars. I would say it also stars Tony Revolori, who you'll know from playing Flash in the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not even close to a smile from Jessica on that one, folks. I wouldn't. The FaceTime um, was dour to say the least. I didn't put that I together. I knew I recognized him. That. I did have to look it up. It is Flash, which is crazy because in 2014, he's playing like an 18 year old and he's playing a 16 year old, you know, two years later in uh, Tom Holland colon homecoming. I was, so, Grand Budapest Hotel. I was surprised Mr. Jude Law is in it, who I recognized by the voice before I saw his face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of Jude Law. Nope. That's why you didn't there. like it, because we teased you with Jude Law. And then and you there took was him way away. less of it. Yeah, we took him away. It would have been better if there was just no Jude Law in it at all. To make you think that was an option. So here is the deal. Is that I like... A lot of the things about this film, I like the cuts, the camera work and the sets, I think, are amazing. Um, I did write that down. Like set design yeah. is like yeah. definitely a thing. But I did have a note for that one. Let me pull up my notes again because my iPad locked on me. But this is a professional outfit, guys. We pull up our notes during the podcast. That's right. Um, it's, it's relatable. It's real. Yeah, you know, we're not pretending to be anyone, any kind of highfalutin. So it is definitely a choice. The color scheme and everything is definitely a choice. So I do like it. But also, you know, at the beginning of the movie-ish, at one of the beginnings of the movies, when he's with the countess, whoever, and Mm -hmm. he holds her hand and he's like, oh, I hate that color on you. It's horrible or whatever. It's physically repulsed by it. So I can't decide if I love the set design so much or if I'm just like so like I just cannot look away. It's like a car crash. I just can't look away by being fascinated by like all of the crazy colors and what he's doing there. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like it's Mm -hmm. definitely making me watch it. It's just notable. It's just yeah, it's very. Yes. Notable. That's interesting. It ca- it's causing a strong reaction in you, but you can't tell if it's a positive or a negative one. You just know that yes. it's strong. It's yeah, that's true. <laughs> wow. What I'm struck with every time, this is the second time I've seen Grand Rupus Hotel. The first being, we haven't even done that stuff. Have you ever heard of this? Had you ever considered watching this? You owned it. Um, I think that we ended up buying it when like movies were on a bundle or something like that. And it came with it. But I kept getting this confused for um, the exotic Marigold Hotel, which I just was trying to see what, when that one, oh, that came out in 2011. So this was, what you said, 2014? 14, yeah. So I don't know why I was getting them confused, but no, outside of that and just hearing that it was a movie, I don't remember anything like really notable about it. Yeah. We just popped it in randomly once we were babysitting for... 
some of our friends, a kid was in bed. Um, we saw it on their, the shelf and just put it in the DVD player. And it was my first Wes Anderson. It was your first. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was my first. Jared did say he looked it up and somebody was like, this is in like one of his top three. Like. Whatever publication that this was one of the high ranking like mm-hmm. ones, like one of his best films. It's very Wes Anderson-y. He like had full creative control, I think, <laughs> over what was, whatever was going on here. I'm always I'm struck by. So, like we said, it's a Russian nesting doll situation. You've got the way, way back where it's a girl reading a book. And then you've got the author. It's like the how he got the information for that book. And so they build. I mean, I'm assuming they built there's multiple sets. There's the hotel later, like 30 years later. And then there's the hotel in its prime with Ray Fiennes and young Tony and young zero as opposed to old zero. Which kind of made me wonder if they filmed that like chronologically or actually reverse chronologically because they could be building this set and making it look like it was falling apart. Yeah. yeah. So like, I wonder if they built, I wonder if they filmed it like that, would, which would be interesting. Yeah. I have a lot of questions like what, how being a good one, like you said, also why, like, I, I mean, I get it. Like they're, they're purposely setting it in two different time frames. but like, was that worth it? Like, is that even like, is right. that it was it vital to the story without, yeah. I'm not saying it's not. Yeah. It's just, it, it again, strikes me as an interesting choice because it's, it makes me love it even more. Like this is a hotel that I've never, it's a fictional hotel that I've obviously never been to. It's in a movie. And I, when I see the old version of it, I'm immediately nostalgic for it in its at its height, it's prime, right yeah. in its glory years, which doesn't make any sense. It's the, I wasn't even alive in either time period, the later years or the glory years. And this is literally so the nostalgic only exposure for it. that you have to it. It's not like you've seen that I could have. It's fictional. Yeah, but I am. I want to go there. I wish that I was there. I'm like, oh man, remember like back in the day when concierges were good at this and like all that stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know how, why it like gets me. Sort of, I don't know that it's about that hotel in general, or let me rephrase for you. It might be about that hotel, but I hear what mm-hmm. you're saying, but I apply it to like maybe somebody being really good at their job and you're going to a hotel and you feel like they have everything taken care of. They're catering to you. They are meeting your needs before you know you have them. Like it just mm-hmm. feel, it feels very, what is the word? Not homey because it's obviously not home, but. Um, like all encompassing. Yeah. Like you're just, you're really the center of whatever's happening as a guest. Mm. So you, mm. it seems like you would feel very comforted and taken care of and like just family almost like you're very connected with mm-hmm. them. Of course that could all be completely fake because maybe they don't really like you. They're just getting paid to do that. However, mm-hmm. that's what the movie is like portraying. Like you come in and you're being taken care of and it's like your home away from home kind of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess those experiences are still available at like resorts, all inclusive resorts in Mexico. I mean, I'm sure they're in other places too in Florida and stuff like that, but not you know, there's not one down the street in my right. hometown. And so when I think of hotel, I'm thinking of like an extremely sterile Holiday Inn Express. Like maybe there's someone at the front desk. Maybe there's not. You yeah. don't interact with anyone. Like there used to be, there used to always be ice machines in hotels and motels when I was a kid. Like the amenities only get stripped back. Even as we now go to nicer hotels usually than we, than I did when I was a kid, Rachel and I try to like, not just go to like the very cheapest place always every time just to kind of have a, you know, more relaxed experience. There's still not more. It's not like, I don't know. No one's, there's no compl- There's no shoe shine guy in the lobby, like of no. the windows that we're going to. And they're not greeting you by name. Hi, Mr. Merriman. Oh yeah. No, of course. It's, I think that's definitely the other thing is this portrays it as an experience, which that does exist out there occasionally, but and maybe it's just my perspective now. Like when I think of going to a hotel, I'm like, I just need some place to stay the night because I have something mm-hmm. I'm going to be going to do the next day. Mm-hmm. And whatever activity I'm going to do is the actual experience. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the hotel in of itself being the destination. Yeah. 
Right. Which, which this is. Yes. I mean, rich people that live in mansions are going here just to stay at this hotel. Because it's in the mountains and they have a spa room <laughs> and they have a good concierge and they feel like they're being treated well. So I think it's, there's also a class aspect to it too. It's um, aspirational for someone like me, for instance, like I never would have been in like a super high class establishment like that or been in a situation financially where I would be, could expect to be catered to. So that's, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of that going on, I think. So Rafe Fines, how do you feel about this performance? He's the driving force acting wise as the concierge. Well, before we get into him, I want to talk oh, about okay. the scene in the bathroom and by bathroom, I mean like in the baths mm-hmm. area and blah, blah, blah. And Mr. Uh, what's his name? The Jude Law. No, the other guy. Zero. So, yeah, which I didn't really get a clear picture from how he went to zero to Mr. Mustafa. Mm-hmm. Or I can't remember. If Mr. Mustafa, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, but I like how he said the, the question was come up, like, how did you get the hotel? And he made the comment, well, if you're merely being polite and you must tell me if that's the case mm-hmm. or if you really care, I'll tell you. And I totally relate to that because I actually even do this with Jeremy he'll ask me a question and I'll start going into it. And then I'll be like, this is actually a bigger story than just like a couple sentences. So then I like mm-hmm. brought in my scope of my story and I'm like, wait, do you actually want to hear the story? Right. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't have to tell you the whole thing. I can pare it down cause I don't want you to get bored. So I totally relate to that. And I'm glad somebody put it into like actual words and a scene. That's it. That's all I had to say about that part. Yeah. There's definitely portions of dialogue. I think in any Wes Anderson film where, Characters are saying things that people should say to one another, but usually would reserve out of like politeness or something or just for societal reasons. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Whereas I think they're just, there's just so much rapid and everyone is just very smart and quick and witty that there's no reason to hold back on anything. I agree. Yeah. Like it's just like what you said when in, you know, normally you wouldn't be like, oh, that's a disgusting color of like, I'm physically repulsed by your nail polish. Like what even concierge, I mean, I guess the kinds of concierge that's having sex with his elderly patrons. But other than that, it's an, that's an extremely, I don't know. Not something you Specific would say. situation where you would have to be very intimately <laughs> connected to one another for that to be okay. So how do you, how do you feel about Ray Fiennes? Oh, I like him. You do in general? In general, yes. Okay. I like him. And instantly was shifted to the other hotel movie that he's in, Made in Manhattan, with Jennifer Lopez. Okay. Just throwing that out seen. there for you. It's a rom-com. It's cute. They stay in a hotel. So he is really dealing. I mean, he is like, he's doing fighting. He's doing sex scene stuff. He's doing witty repartee. He's doing physical, like they're running through the snow and different stuff. He's he's in jail at one point. He's just really good. <coughs> Excuse me. He's believable. Like I, I don't see him and get locked into his portrayal of any one character that I've ever seen yeah. him in. Like I see him and I, I'm watching what he's doing. And I did <laughs> know that he's very particular, especially in that intro to him with all of the instructions that he gives go do this this Mm -hmm. this 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 Mm -hmm. and this and it's like really long instructions like Mm -hmm. honestly if you were giving those to me i would be writing them down because i would not remember them and i like that because it's it's funny in a couple ways like one it's just a bit because it's so long but then the other thing is is that he really knows what he's talking about if he's listing out exactly the way that he wants you to do it and he knows that's what he wants done. Yeah. That's just another example of dialogue that is enjoyable to listen to. And we're not even pretending that it's realistic. <laughs> like you said, you wouldn't give, you would hand, if you had that specific of a list, you would hand a kid on his first day, a note that says, go do this and this and this and check them off and then make sure that, you know, you come and get me when it's done. Um, so I love there's two scenes that kind of bookend the heart of the story for me. And they are there when um, 
Ray finds is standing up for zero on the train. The first time that they come in and they, and he, they about get in a fight, but the, the commander has him stand down because he's defending, you know, the kid with immigration paperwork. Yeah. Edward Norton. I mean, that's, that's what Anderson films too. is surprise. Bill Murray. Surprise. Jeff Goldblum. I did like that. They, he was standing up for him. Although I wasn't really clear outside of just the scariness for lack of a better turn of him, lack of a better term, sorry, not turn of him being like, okay, come with us, you know, like that's mm-hmm. going to be kind of scary. And you know that there's yeah, a war impending war sort of happening, but you don't really know, like they don't really talk a lot about that piece of the story. So you don't really know what kind of trouble this could be for him. Mm-hmm. So I find that interesting. I also liked, I'm, I think I might've cut you off when I started talking about this. So you'll have to wrap us back around, but I also liked that he knew the general inspector, the head guy, Edward Norton's mm-hmm. character because of the hotel. And so to me, something that is re that is realistic is you never know how far your interactions can reach. So because he was a delightful concierge to this at one point, young boys family, it is helping them out in a way that keeps them on their travels and not getting zero in trouble. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's a wonderful life, right? You're having an impact on things in a way that spreads. It isn't always like obvious on the surface. Yes. I haven't seen that movie, so I'll take your word for it. Mm, that'll be our Christmas episode. I, at, up to that point in the film, he's just so, he's all business. He's all about the hotel, right? He lives and breathes only the Grand Budapest Hotel, right? That's the only thing that this guy cares about. So then when he's actually standing up for him, you're like, okay, this, that's more than just like, this is my employee. Like as a representative of the Grand Budapest Hotel, he shall not be treated this way. Like, there's there's a few instances where it shows that he cares about him as a person and he legitimately um you know sees him as more than just an employee and so i think that's what i appreciated about it yes and then it's also the flip side of zero is just absolutely like this is my guy like this is my mentor i am gonna follow him around i'm gonna shadow i'm gonna do my very best to make him proud i mean he's smuggling him stuff to escape from jail he's the one that gets him a stool to like actually steal the painting down all that stuff do you like how long it takes adrian brody and family to notice that the boy with apple has been replaced with like an incredibly crude painting it's like months yeah so when i watched that i thought the sisters all knew. They were like, I thought you knew that it had been gone for like three weeks or something. Like they were yeah. all like, yeah, it's been gone. We just, we thought you knew about it. And he's like, what the just heck? Just praise or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, I did find that interesting. And you would have thought that if it was such a big deal that she left the painting to him, that they would have. Right. Because at the time that they steal mm-hmm. it, all they know is she left the painting or painting. I, I assume it's painting. Yeah, it's a painting. Yeah. To him. And. That's a big, you know, a big deal to the family. Why would she do that? Why does he get it? Blah, blah, blah. So you would think that they would have eyes on it or something. But they don't have anything. Well, I think for me, my interpretation of the point of that is that it's showing the viewer that. Oh, was it about the painting? To these characters, it's just about the money and. Like, that's how, like, short-sighted they are and lowbrow and, like, not appreciative of, like, art for the sake of art. Yeah, Whereas, that's a good point. Um, Ray Fiennes really appreciates it and, like, can talk about it and the painter and stuff and about how it's gorgeous. I mean, yes, he is interested in selling it just from, like, a practicality standpoint by the end, but he goes through it immediately and those guys are so, I mean, we're supposed to think of them as head-in-the-sand dummies, kind of. Versus Ray Fiennes trying to tap into over everything else in a bigger sense. Um, it's around here. Oh, so then we get introduced to Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is the attorney at for the or the attorney accountant sort of executor of the hotel. 
Um, but then he's also the attorney in charge of the estate of Tilda Swinton, who died. Which I had no idea that was her until I just literally three minutes ago when I pulled it up on IMDb. Really? Yeah. Oh, I immediately was like, nice, Tilda Swinton. Um, here's what I love about this Jeff Goldblum performance is that Jeff Goldblum only has Jeff Goldblum voice. He doesn't have other voices. Yeah. He's not doing an accent or... Um, even just like slower, faster, anything. He's just like, man, then Jeff Goldblum's here. So I uh, guess we're going to be uh, looking at this. Yeah. Well, we're going to go over the estate and the documents. And I hope, sir, that you will like, he's just doing Jeff Goldblum. And I appreciate that about him. It's the opposite of Ray Fiennes, who is like drips into every character. And you forget that it's him like a Daniel Day-Lewis. And Jeff Goldblum's like, hey, Jeff Goldblum's here in this movie. Yeah. Which is like still acting. It is. It's just that he's just acting characters that all happen to also be Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Um, it's at that same point that I noticed, well, what I kind of said was I like something I like about this film is that there's a plot, but it's not really about the plot, right? It's about the characters, it's about the relationship between Ray Fiennes and Zero and, um, his relationship to art and to the patrons, um, and just getting to see the characters do their quirky things and Zero with his wife, Saoirse, uh, Ronan and all that kind of stuff. Who I also do enjoy. You, do you like, do you like that? Are you annoyed about like the plot? Like, oh, the, I mean, what's what's going on with this war? Like, he's from he's an immigrant. He's from this country. Like, did you are you frustrated that there's lots of different like paintball colors of plot that are everywhere as opposed to just like going through like a plot of a film? I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox is the same thing. It's like, what is this about? Yeah, I did have that thought. Exactly. What is this about? What am I watching? Um I don't mind if there's a lot of different things happening because I feel like we've watched other movies with a lot of different things happening. And I don't mind that. But for whatever reason, with Fantastic Mr. Fox and even this one, while I can appreciate certain bits of dialogue and certain characters, I really am not invested in these characters. Really? Yeah, like wow. I, I'm, I don't feel like... I don't feel hopeful that he gets out of prison or doesn't die or whatever. I'm just like, what's going to happen now? Like what's next? Like what is going to happen? I don't, mm. but I'm not like attached to the character as far as that. I want a certain journey for them. So I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's definitely not something I'm used to because I'm used to wanting things for characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say if Wes Anderson is that interested in, character development like you said them going on a journey like learning something changing or growing from beginning to end it's like hey sometimes art is beautiful set pieces and characters just ripping dialogue at each other quickly and some you know getting to put these people in these situations and like that can be thought provoking, like philosophically, but it's not only about character development. I guess most of his films I've seen are kind of that way. And maybe that's just his thing. Yeah. I don't want to say I, I noticed at the end of the movie, I don't want to jump completely to the end of the movie, but I think this follows our mm. point. It mm -hmm. made the comment that it was inspired by the writings of somebody. And then at the beginning, the author is doing that. I, I sort of assumed it was like some kind of a video or a radio recording of some kind. And he comments that as an author, people think you make up all these stories, but oftentimes mm -hmm. like the stories, once you write something, the stories come to you in the people and places that you see and meet. And I sort of feel like that's how he does his movies. Like it's this story that from these writings that this, that he found or whatever. And now mm -hmm. he's applying them to create this film. And it's not, a, I, I'm not going to say it's not a bad film. It just, I wasn't super invested in the characters outside of where is this going? What is happening? <laughs> yeah. Just trying to figure out what's happening. Cause it's not very concerned with holding your hand and making it obvious what's happening. I don't know. I feel like I don't really necessarily things to hold my hand either. Like I like, to figure it out. I don't know. But there's nothing to figure out in this film. Yeah. And maybe it's that's not about, what it he is. doesn't care if you figure it out or not because he's like, figure what out? Like, that's like there's nothing to figure out. I just want you to that. see Remember how these people that happened? interact with that each other. That doesn't matter anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're on to this next thing. Now we're doing a cable car chase through the Swiss Alps or whatever. That's what's happening now. Forget about what was happening before. That was for then. This is for now. Yeah. Ray finds in jail. We're not amused by Ray finds in jail. Him trying to get, he's like the gruel. That's pretty good today. You want some gruel? Like he just immediately gets put on like giving people gruel duty. Um, I, I sort of felt like that's in line with his concierge character, right? Right. Taking care of people. So that worked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, you know, when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life, right? So it's more than a job for him. It's a, it's a calling. Um, did, how soon did you realize that they were going to start sneaking stuff in through the chocolate cake boxes? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't follow that. At, I mean, I didn't oh. suspect that at all. Like it wasn't even, I didn't know when she was going to come back up or why, mm-hmm. but I was like, put that in the back of your mind. That's going to happen again. Some they didn't introduce her for nothing Maybe. or they could have because yeah. Right? Yeah. it's Wes Anderson. Who's I don't know. Say, yeah. I think it's cute when the, the guy is clearly in, you see just a close up of like some hands and like a conveyor belt. And he's clearly inspecting the gifts that are being given to someone in jail or presents that are being brought. Yes. And he's like, Oh, it's a bag of apple. He's like, chop, chop, chop. Like he's chopping everything up. Then he opens the Mendel's box and it's just this gorgeous little like confection thing. He's like, this is too pretty. Okay. Like I'm not going to ruin that. Like that's, you know, I at least have like that basic level of human decency of like, that I can appreciate the beauty in this small thing. Yeah. That's it. I don't know. That's what the movie's about, I think, is appreciating the beauty in that small thing. Oh, well, you make me feel bad that I wasn't like more excited about it, Roby. Geesh. (laughs) You don't have to be. It speaks to me. And not everything speaks to me. Not everything that speaks to me is going to speak to you. And that's fine. The one prison guy, the other inmate, I know from something and I was trying to figure it out. Oh, my gosh. Is he the. um, Oh, hang on. He was the guy who was like, we got to go. And then they left. I don't know. He was shorter-ish. I'm just going to keep making statements while you look this up. Okay, go ahead. Saoirse Ronan has a birthmark in the shape of Italy on her face. Yeah, I don't know what that is about, but okay. It's for no reason. Why not put a birthmark in the shape of Italy on Saoirse Ronan's cheek? I was surprised that she, because I mean, I think of her and Little Women as being... Late teens. I mean, I guess Lady Bird was even before that. So actors are just so good at playing different ages. Isn't that called baby face when you can play a high schooler even when you're in your 20s? I think it's also, I mean, yes, but I think it's also how they outfit you and make up you. And oh, of course. Like they definitely. The magic of the movies. Um, What did you think of the. Jeff Goldblum, Willem Dafoe museum chase. Did you think he was going to make it out or that he was going to get caught? I was like, what are you? I don't even know what he's doing there. Which one? Jeff Goldblum. He's running away from Willem Dafoe. I mean, that was the whole thing. He's just running away from like, I was like, why did you go to the museum anyway? To try to lose him. Okay, I mean, that works. For some reason in my head, there was going to be a mirror maze of some kind. That's always a classic, right? If someone's tailing you, you go through a mirror maze, they think they see you a bunch of times. Yes, and they, get and all they don't see you. And then it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was really, oh, sorry. He was really the first guy that gets killed in the whole like chase and everything, right? Yeah, Tilda Swinton and then Jeff Goldblum. But we didn't know that she was murdered until... A little bit later. Well, we knew it before he got killed. Okay, so I wasn't, I wasn't expect, I didn't have expectations either way. I was just mm-hmm. like, what's going to happen here? Because I didn't know if he was going to find the painting. Like he knew where it had been hidden. He was like taking mm-hmm. the long way to get there or something weird or crazy. Or if they were just going to kill him, which I'm like, if you just kill everybody, you're not really finding any answers. You're talking about Willem Dafoe? Yeah. If you just kill everybody, he's not actually getting answers about what's going on. I think that Adrian Brody and his sisters felt like Jeff Goldblum was getting a little too close to the truth. I think what happened is that they had the mom killed so they could get the inheritance. Yes. And and they they felt like Willem, they felt like Jeff Goldblum wasn't 
totally buying their story and was starting to figure out that they had framed him and stuff like that. And they're like, okay, we just need to have him killed because then we can follow our own lead to go find where the painting is. So we don't need him. We feel like he is going to be on the side of law and order and that's, we don't need that to mess with us. Okay. I would buy that. This is the, this is the part that works for me the least. I don't totally understand what's going on with the museum chase. And then I also really don't understand, um, Willem Dafoe goes and interrogates the old concierge, the, the old butler um, from the mansion who like ran away. Yes. That Surge. he later kills. But he goes, Serge, right. He interrogates Serge's sister who has a club foot. And he interrogates her and she doesn't know anything. And then later he goes back and he kills her. And then he finds a telegram. And I'm not sure who the telegram was from. Was it from Serge? I think so. That's what I drew. But the things that he put in that telegram, I don't know why he would be telling his sister that. It was to run away up to meet him up in the mountains somewhere, right? Yeah, which he was up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. In the monastery-esque type yeah. place. Oh, super monastery. So maybe he's like, come be with me now and get out of Dodge. Yeah. Do Did you like the cable car chase? They keep going like, are you here to meet with this guy? Are you here to here, put on these robes? Jump into cable car to cable car. Hold on a second. Because I think my favorite part was right before that, which is the the order of the two keys or whatever it was. Uh, the Society of the Cross Keys, Bill yes. Murray's mustache. And yeah. they're calling all of the concierges and they're like. Owen Wilson. Yes. And, that yeah. I think was my favorite thing. Because I like that idea of, you see it in even more modern time mm-hmm. period pieces like. This idea of this assistance network or mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Yes. Yeah. And I, I really kind of like that feeling. And I think it's probably applicable too. If you can mm-hmm. get over the whole like they they're potentially competition, you realize that they're more the network is more mm-hmm. helpful than it is hurtful if you share mm-hmm. information. So I liked that. I liked that they were there for him. And yes, I did like the cable car chase. And I liked when at the very end he's like Yes, yes, I am. Come on. Like they <laughs> all stop, ask yeah, the stop asking me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like who else would I be at this point? Obviously. Yeah. And then he's like, confess. And he's like, I'm innocent, which I thought was kind of funny. And he's like, no, that's mm-hmm. not what I mean. And then Zero's yeah. following him along everywhere. He's like, you don't take, I mean, I'm not Catholic, yeah. so I don't know, but I don't think you take two people into the confessional, but okay. Whatever. Yeah, maybe it's some sort of very specific sect of, you know, way down the pipeline of different variations on I don't even know if it's supposed to be a Christian denomination or if it's any, yeah. anyway it could be anything it was definitely very vague on yeah. that aspect yeah. yeah so then they go they ski down the mountain or they sled because Willem Dafoe's on skis mm-hmm. and they're on a sled and that is just peak this is just peak Wes Anderson for me. The muted color, things are super sped up. We're doing sharp cuts. We're getting the first person perspective. And then also the like right on their faces as they're like trying to slalom with the camera, like flipped around at them. And it's just wild. And so that kind of epitomizes like, that's what he wants to be doing, especially in an action scene. It's just like, you can really feel right the there. fingerprint, the director on that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, even though the only other film I've seen by him has been animated. (laughs) Yeah. Very similar vibes. Yeah, Yeah, he's the only director that I talk about this way, other than maybe Tarantino, where like, whatever it is, I can just, I I can feel the hands of the director and like choosing the shots and stuff. And I, and so even though one of them's animated, you know, a lot of directors would argue that you have even more control over something animated because you don't have to, you can just have it do exactly what you're picturing, right? You don't have to explain to someone how to emote or whatever. And if their goal is to be imparting a vision, they do, he, he does a very good job. I'm not saying like his films are the best in the world, but like I am confident that I understood what he was going for yeah. at the end of watching the film more than I am with most other directors. Yeah. I always think it's hilarious. Every time they're driving in a car, they're riding a motorcycle, they're riding the sled. Zero's always driving. And then Ray Fiennes is like grabbing him, you know, or he's like got he's his arms wrapped around him. He's looking over his yeah. shoulder or something. Yeah. It's so funny to me. He always has him drive. Um, did you have any thoughts on the, 
Saoirse Ronan in the pastry shop, um, being worked hard by Mendel, having to hide out back in her room, having to hide zero, any of that stuff. I was sort of wondering, like, what kind of relationship is this exactly? But right, is she give an us enough, servant of some kind? Yeah, but they don't yeah. really give us enough to like have any other thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's set in like the 30s or something, or maybe I think that's rightish, early 40s or something like that. But that whatever relationship was happening there in that confectioner's shop seemed very much out of the mid 1800s as opposed to the mid 1900s. It's almost like someone sent their daughter off to apprentice at a yeah. candy shop or something. It did make me want chocolate. I'm not going to lie. Even though it was pastries. Yeah. I did want to eat chocolates. We can have, what's your chocolate substitute? There's like some chocolate, some super dark chocolate you can kind of have, right? Yeah. I just have to get it. And I was laying on the couch while I was watching a movie. I wasn't getting up. <laughs> I peopled a lot this weekend, so I was like limited, limited activities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you notice the music at any point? It really hit a high for me when they got back to the hotel at the end and they're dressed in the Mendel's outfits and everyone's shooting at each other and the music was just going crazy. Did you notice any of that? I wasn't paying attention to the music particularly, but I liked how she came in with a special delivery and then they came in with the special delivery mm -hmm. and I thought that Very was kind of funny. And then that's sort of where everybody converges. And I was almost like every time a critical piece of information needs to be delivered, something happens to prevent it. Right. So mm -hmm. when they go steal the painting, Serge is about ready to tell them. I stole a copy of the second will. We find out now that that's what it was. Yeah. And it's in the back yeah. of the painting. Right. He's did you about notice to say him that. stick that letter in there when he first yes. wrapped it up? Yes, I yeah. did. And I was like, what's going on here? Um, and then, by the way, I've, I'm going way around here. But by the way, I also noticed that the maid was like, I mm -hmm. think Mr. Gustav stole it. Like, what's her deal? Why are you tattling? Yeah, she was weird. So maybe that's why Serge couldn't say anything because the maid was standing right behind him. But right. anyways, he got cut off. They had to leave. And then... Agatha's hanging from the building and she sees the the confidential letter or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um I don't really it was kind of letter shaped. And they fall into the back of the truck, which by the way, no injuries, yay. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh great, she's gonna have knocked out or something, or you know, what's happening? And but she, I just, but she says it. You just kept, like, you kept watching scenes of going, what's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. She's going to get knocked out. She's going to, something bad's going to happen. They're going to miss the letter again. And I really, since the time that he put the letter in the back of the painting, I was like, hmm, what's that? So I'm glad that they finally got to the bottom of mm -hmm. it. But I it did find Chekhov's it. Chekhov's letter. Yeah. Very interesting that as, as they're seated at the table and Edward Norton's reading the second copy or the copy of the second will, I think is what they call it. Mm -hmm. Agatha and Zero are sitting on one side and Dimitri and Gustav are sitting on the other side. And I'm like, they would not be sitting next to each other. Right. <laughs> they would have everybody like in separate rooms and trying to do interrogations and stuff. So. And then there's like a really brief scene in the courtroom where he's just charming all of the jurors and, every, and everyone's just like laughing. And um, I thought that was really funny. So it's like, yeah, we're still going to have a court, you know, have a hearing, let people kind of say their piece and stuff like that. Well, and that just goes to show like how charming yeah. he is as a concierge. Really like he's has the jury eating out of his hand and they're all mm -hmm. just charmed by him. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, I mean, the, the goal is to make him as charming of a concierge as possible, right? The hotel is supposed to be charming. Charming is what there is, what we're going for, right? Yeah. The hotel is supposed to be charming, charming concierge. And then... We go tragic ending at the end of it, right? Even Agatha dies really quickly. Um, Gustav dies before too long after all that court stuff because he's standing up for zero on the train and everything. Yeah, which kind of bummed me out when he ripped up the little transportation card that Edward Norton's mm -hmm. character gave him. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to end well. You also knew that because, right, they, they flipped to black and white. Mm-hmm. So that well, and I mean, we're talking, the whole thing is a flashback from Mustafa's perspective. And so we, if Gustav was still alive, he would have been there. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Things just would have been right. different. So. Right. 
Yeah. And I liked how the, at the end, he's like, you know, he left it all to me, which we knew was coming because, because you knew that was the kind of relationship they were going to have. But then also when they were talking about selling the painting, he was like, of course, when I die, I'll leave everything to you. Mm -hmm. Which I did kind of feel like that was, um, what is the word? Like, um, a little foreshadowy. Foreshadowy, but also like that was not necessarily repayment for his loyalty, but um, he did what he said he was going to do after all mm-hmm. of they'd been through. Yeah. And he didn't back out or find a different way to do anything else. And they stayed together. I liked that. Yeah. He wasn't just using Zero as a, you know, this committed bellboy. He like really did care about him. Which sometimes you don't know because he's like, of course, I'll pay you for your services to be whatever, whatever in my personal valet. I can't remember mm-hmm. the other things. Mm-hmm. So you're like, mm, he's, he's a like little, carrying his luggage and stuff. He's a little um, uppity, Gustavez. But then you're like, okay, yeah. but he really does like him. So I went back and forth throughout the dialogue, like thinking, is he really, does he really care about this kid or does he just mm-hmm. like that this kid? looks up to him and he's using the kid. Taking it. Yeah. Take, yeah. Who else would Taking advantage of him? Yeah. Smuggle all that stuff to get him out of jail. Well, they get out, he gets him out of jail and then he's like, okay, where's our get, where's our getaway outfit? Where's my perfume? He's just so disappointed. That he doesn't have a safe house and everything. And the kid's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I did the best I could, you know? And he tells the story about him being from his war torn homeland with all his parents being killed. And my friend's like, ah, Yes. I've been an idiot. Yes. <laughs> I was really stupid and I am so sorry and thank you. I liked that too because cause you're with him. You're like, you're why wouldn't you bring disguises? Why wouldn't mm-hmm. you bring a different change of clothes? Why wouldn't you do any of this stuff? And then he says all that and you're like, okay, well, I guess how would you know to do literally any of that stuff really? Mm-hmm. So we kind of went on that journey with him, I think. Yeah. Did you notice that while they're having that conversation, he's getting more and more mad in the background. The other inmates are like beating up a bus driver and yes. then stealing the bus and stealing the bus. <laughs> yes. And I liked how to there. I honestly didn't like when they were doing all the quotations and everything from poetry, but I did like when he <laughs> because starts they're being so like, bad. hold that thought. I want to hear the rest. I love where, where that's go going. Right <laughs> Put a pin in that. Yeah. Because that's great. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I, I hate that, but it was mm-hmm. comically introduced for sure. Um, d- did you notice that all of the concierge guys from the Society of the Cross Keys or whatever are at the wedding? Like Bill Murray yes, and Owen Wilson, some down. of those guys are I at the I love that. Mm-hmm. And I it's love that they're sweet. all in very like brightly styled costumes or mm-hmm. uniforms, as yes. in the movie uniforms. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for us watching the movie costumes, um, I loved that. Very identified so back, I think my favorite stretch, my favorite scenes are anything that's showing us the inner workings of the hotel when it's still on his peak, when he's still the concierge, his heroes being a great bus bo- or a uh, lobby boy. Like the the scenes in the like dining hall kind of areas where he's reading from his poetry and like everyone just starts like eating because he has like 47 stanzas to get through. It's just like how dedicated he is. I like seeing the bedrooms that the staff is in and just how sparse they are and like how much the hotel running well, like how much pride he takes in it. I think that's my favorite stretch of the movie. I like that. But if you like that, I think there are other movies that could get you that feeling just as well. Okay. So it depends on if you really liked it because of the characters or if you like this whole nostalgic idea of the hotel being run in a really like great way. It's hard to say. I think I might be nostalgic for a hotel from that time period that's being run as though it's in a Wes Anderson film. And it might be pretty specifically (laughs) have to do with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't understand the set of the hotel. Like. I got the stairs. That's great. But what is the Mm -hmm. the funky little windows and like Mm -hmm. the Oh, with the the, the tiny windows with the curtains on them. And yeah. And why would you have the desk that you have to crawl under? I guess it did flip up at the end. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm like, "Mm." I didn't love all of that. I mean, I liked it in theory, but I also was like, this is not very functional. What are we doing here? Yeah, and I like that. I like the idea that there was a time in the past where 
a hotel's lobby would be set up for reasons other than pure functionality. And it was because it was cool and different and for architectural reasons and just for some some arbitrary choices. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want. I want to go live at that hotel that doesn't exist and never has existed, never will exist. Who wins the movie for you, Jess? Who is your favorite character? Who is it, Wes Anderson? Is it the direction? Is it the art design? Is it an actor? Is it writing? I mean, I think it has to be art design because it's just so, because I just feel so strongly about it. I can't define Mm -hmm. how I feel. Right. (laughs) Right. That's what 10 years from now you're going to be like, did I love or hate the set in that? I don't know. That's what's the big thing you're going to take away from it is. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, it's got to be Ray Fiennes, I think. It's a tour de force. I don't know who else you put in that role and it works as well. Him being really tall is helpful. Um, Some of the physicality he brings to it, I liked. Um, Him in the little goofy mustache. Fun fact, which I've been told I shouldn't say that as much by our editor, but... They did make the comment that the care of M the care the character of M Gustav was written for Ray Fiennes. Mm-hmm. Right. So exactly. He had him like, in mind. He was really locked in, so it makes sense that it would be hard to find. Yeah. Hard to imagine somebody else as him. Who else could could you put anyone else in that role in your head? I think Bill Murray, maybe. Or maybe that's just because we see him in a different concierge uniform. I don't know. I would have to think about that because I would be thinking for somebody that can, uh, it would take too much brain power for me to think of somebody. Has to be at least someone middle-aged. Based on some of the stuff he does and how he's able to charm the uh, elderly patrons, patronesses. Mm, Interesting. I mean, I think there are definitely people out there with range that I don't, recognize and if they had the opportunity they would kill mm-hmm. it but i think christoph vaults but he's too short but maybe the height um, is only because ray finds this tall well in zero Waltz, the guy that's playing zeros mm-hmm. how tall is he i don't know okay this is any movie i've watched and now this one hits the list is often followed up by me googling how tall is x character Really? Yeah. Kind of a height queen. I, and I can't retain the knowledge, but I definitely, I mean, I can retain the knowledge for just a few of my favorites, but. Yeah. I Tom can't Cruise really is short. It. John Krasinski is tall. None of those guys are on my list. Hugh Jackman is short. Not. Here's what I think He's is that short. because where okay. is the guy? What's the guy's name again? He's five six. Ray Fines. There's no, no way Ray Fines is five Tony? six. You talk about Tony Rivalori. Yeah, I'm talking about Flash. I'm okay. talking about Zero. Gotcha. Don't um, about Flash. Zero does always make me think of the character from Holes. Yeah. How tall is Ray Fines? I think that because Jeremy doesn't like it when you say fun fact a lot, that we should have a whole section about fun facts He's where we look 11. up like trivia from the film. Okay, so more fun facts then provided okay, by great. Jeremy's Googling prowess. Tilda Swinton spent five hours in the makeup chair to play 84-year-old yeah. Dowager Madam D, which makes sense mm-hmm. why I did not directly connect that right away. How many minutes of screen time do you think she had? Not very five. many. Less, less than five, probably. Probably. And they probably got all her filming done in one day. I was like, what are we doing with this old lady here? Like, what is happening here? Sometimes we're having sex with her. Well, not we, thank you. But I did realize okay, the royal we. The royal we. I did realize that that's the, the whole stayed for a season thing, like, right? She went, Mm -hmm. she stayed for three months, two months, Mm -hmm. a month, whatever. And then she went back home. And so it took me a minute to like make that connection on what they were talking about, but I got it. Also, she was the owner of the hotel, which we didn't find out until later, which makes sense why Jeff Goldblum was her executor and also met with the business manager and the concierge every month. Yeah. 
that made me feel a little bit better about the whole, like, where is this story going thing. I, I felt like that was a piece of the puzzle I could neatly fit into the yeah. mat. Green Budapest Hotel. I would watch it again. I will watch it again. It's been six or seven years probably since I last saw it. Maybe not seven, five or six years. I'll probably watch it every four or five years. I liked it and I think it's good. You? I will not watch it again. Appreciate it, but will not be watching it again. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much sums up my relationship with Wes Anderson. My streak of picking my favorite films that you're never going to watch again continues. Have Starts we with Fantastic Mr. That Fox. I said I would watch again? The only one that one of us picked that the other one said that they would watch again was me with Super 8. Okay. You're tracking that. I think. I didn't know you were tracking that. It's probably in our I spreadsheet that so. I haven't looked at. Maybe. Oh, I haven't. No, I haven't updated anything on the spreadsheet in a while. Okay. Maybe Molly's Game. I could see watching Molly's Game again. Okay. Um, I'll definitely watch my neighbor Totoro again. As often as possible, really. Listeners, hit us up at FlabberPod on Instagram, LinkedIn, MySpace. Let us know what you thought about who won the film, um, about Jess's relationship to whimsy, my relationship to having nostalgia for places that don't exist and have never existed in a time period that I've been familiar with. And uh, what directors are good at putting their fingers all over their films. Um, Also, let us know what you think about how tall Jeremy thinks actors are and whether or not we should say fun facts a lot. And feel free to do that by calling us at 240-668-4376. What's the spell? Does it spell flapper? We don't remember what it spells. But it smells something. We did it on purpose. Movie 76, I think. Figure out what you think it spells. If you have a thing that it does spell that you like better than Movie 76, let us know. We should add that phone number to our Instagram so people can call and leave us a voicemail. In keeping with how I handled this exact same thing with Muggle's Perspective, I do not plan on learning the phone number and I plan on making you look it up and say it every week. (laughs) Week. Every week. I should just stick it to the board. Stick it to the board. I understand what that means and it's relevant to me. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, producer Jeremy. Thank you, Fred and George. Might have made some bark-based appearances at different points. I don't think we heard from Daphne. No, she's laying down. And join us again next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.